Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 271. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're continuing our restaurant storytelling series. Most all of these have been about Disney Springs, and today is no exception. We're actually talking about three dining locations all in one, but they center around our friends Maria and Enzo from Maria and Enzo's Restaurant, then Enzo's Hideaway, and Pizza Ponte. So we're so excited to chat with you about the story of these three restaurants. But before we do that, I do want to mention our travel agent sponsor, Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. If you are looking to travel in the near future, if you're trying to go to Disney, if you're trying to go to anywhere else, you should definitely reach out to her. There's a quick form you can fill out, and maybe you know your dates, maybe you don't. Give Hannah whatever information you do know, and she can work with it. She monitors all the latest discounts for Disney. She can make sure you get a great deal, and she's going to make everything less stressful. She can grab dining reservations if you're looking to go to Oga's Cantina, Topolino Terrace, whatever it might be, she's your girl. So again, if you want to save some time, maybe even save some money, then you should go hit her up. It's littlebitofdisney.com. We'll also put the link in our show notes and let her know that Detour sent you. And a reminder that Hannah will be joining us next week, a week from today, if you're listening on release day on the 29th of April, as we do our live show previewing the month of May in Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Bum, bum, bum. That is so exciting and kind of bizarre to say. It is. Um, so hope you can join us for that. That will be on YouTube and Facebook. And then we'll also be posting the audio here as a podcast for you guys to listen to. But the idea behind that is Hannah joins us because she keeps up with all this way better than we do. We just talk about what can you expect out of the next month if you are traveling to Disney in May. So Maria and Enzo's. This is another one of those that I think so much story is driven by people. And within Disney Springs, I think now we can look back after the couple of episodes that we've done on this, and even the ones, the restaurant storytelling that we've done outside of Disney Springs, when is it when it's a people-driven story, I am like all in. And I am completely hooked of trying to find out more about these people and their background and their personalities and their interest. And I always knew when we ate at Maria and Enzo's that, you know, there was kind of a fictional story about who these two people were. But it goes way, way deeper than anything that I would have realized. Well, I mean, it almost just makes it feel more real, like more possible because you have these characters. You can, you know, look for all those little hidden details or their clues about their past and their history and what they chose to do. And I mean, I completely agree. I just think it makes it more fun. So if you're new to this series, our goal here is just to expose and and share some of these background stories that are going to enhance your dining experience. We had the same idea for attractions that we do of trying to tell and maybe just have a different perspective on the stories that the attractions tell. 
And we just realized so many of these restaurants have the exact same thing. This one is interesting because if we talk about the history or the uh, kind of real world facts about Maria and Enzo's, biggest thing that stands out that this is owned by the Patina Group. So it's not a Disney ran business. The Patina Group, we are big fans of. They have excellent food. So there are the other titles that you may be familiar with that they run. So in Disney Springs, they also do the Edison. So they kind of have that one little block of area there. And then otherwise in Walt Disney World and Epcot, they have Tutto Italia, Via Napoli, and Tutto Gusto, which are all three the restaurants and the bar there in Italy in the World Showcase. And I forgot one in Disney Springs, Morimoto Asia as well, which I didn't realize that one was part of it. No, that one actually surprises me. And it also, I mean, it's outside of like everything else is Italian. This is a little outside of their element, which is kind of funny. And then I never realized they have a footprint in Disneyland as well. So they have the Takaria. Is that how you would have said it? Disneyland people are super mad at me right now. I just don't know. I don't. You're asking the wrong person. Tortilla Joe's. I know how to pronounce that one. Uva Bar, Naples, and Catal, all in downtown Disney, are all ran by the Patina Group. They are expected to make another addition in Walt Disney World. They are doing the Space 220 restaurant as well. Who knows if it's ever coming at this point? It will. It will come. We just have to be patient, right? It's been done for over a year, supposedly. Well, soon. But if you're familiar with any or all of these restaurants, I mean, they have a very high standard. And I think one of the big differences is that Maria and Enzo's and Enzo's Hideaway really have a different take than everything that they've done previously. Most of these others are kind of in the same vein that we maybe would have viewed Boathouse there's it fits the theme of the land or the area that it's in, but it doesn't necessarily tell a story. With here, they do, and we just think now back to Disney Springs. Think of all of these characters and people that we have lined up. We have Jock Lindsay from the Hangar Bar. Who's our friend from Gideon's? My favorite, Jonathan Lindworm. And now we're adding Maria and Enzo to this list. We also know, we've read ahead in our book a little bit, of that we know that Amaretz is about two sisters as well. So I think, like I said at the beginning of this, these stories driven by people and characters bring it to life so much better. And if you haven't gone back and listened to our Disney Springs overview episode and the backstory on that, I think you can still listen to this one, but it's just going to enhance it even more of understanding the timeline of how this city was fictionally built over time. So if we're talking about backgrounds and the Patina group and how this is so different, it does make me wonder, just kind of like what we talked about with Gideon's, do you think it was Disney's influence coming up with these people in this storyline, or do you think the Patina group had part in it? Like, Who do you think is the driving force here? I don't know. I would probably say it's probably Imagineering driven and the patina group just kind of goes along with it and matches the food scene with it just based on their other properties that's the way i would lean but who knows maybe they wanted something that they view these other things in disney springs and they say hey we went in on this 
like deep, rich backstory uh, that a lot of these other places have. I would like to believe that. It's a nice idea. So rounding out the key facts, both of these restaurants opened, uh, all three, if we include Pizza Ponte, on January 4th, 2018. I didn't realize they were so new. I was going to say, they're still, they're still fairly new. I never realized that. I kind of thought it was with the Disney Springs changeover, but it wasn't. Well, I mean, and we talked about before, and we'll probably mention it again, but Enzo's Hideaway especially is one that is so easy to miss and so easy to overlook that it could have been there for years or it could be brand new. I think we just had no clue because we never paid attention to it or it never looks open. You guys have asked and we are going to, I know we kind of pitched this whole series idea in the past. If we're not doing dining reviews or not doing dining reviews, we're going to give you a dining review at the very end. At the end. So the story here starts with, you guessed it, Maria and Enzo. And they are a couple who lived and met in Italy before they immigrated to the U.S. in the 1920s. So a couple of things to remember about Maria and Enzo. Maria is from southern Italy, and Enzo is from Rome. And that is important because that's where the two big draws of their cuisine pull from. So you got a little, a lot of Roman food and a lot of kind of Sicilian-style food meshing both of their interests and their backgrounds together. Which makes it feel like a family restaurant. You know, it feels homey when you look at it from that perspective. So this is not like officially documented anywhere, but if you just look at the real world in Italy in the 1920s, one might assume that they immigrated to get away from communism in Italy, and that was their reason for coming to Central Florida. Again, that's not officially said by the Patina Group or by Disney, but you can kind of look at history. 1920s Italy, not a great place. Which is fun for us. We like to look at the history and think, you know, what would have brought on that immigration. Again, maybe they just thought Central Florida would be a great place to live. That's what we thought. Uh, but it's it's nice to think that maybe there is a reason. I think it's interesting. Obviously, this story was put in place before Jonathan Lindworm with Gideon's, but he immigrated from Hungary much, much earlier than this. So Maria and Enzo are in the 1920s. Jonathan Lindworm was in, what, the 1860s or maybe a little bit later, close to 1900, I believe. But both of them immigrating over and kind of bringing some of their culture with them, which I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's a nice, you know, I think in Florida, we see that a lot. You know, there's a lot of diversity. A lot of people are coming to Disney, you know, from all over the world to visit. So it is nice that they have those influences of, you know, people from all over the world. So they picked Disney Springs because it was a bustling and up and coming town. And they specifically picked this landing area based on something in Enzo's past. He was a pilot in Italy. So you think about the landing area of Disney Springs. This is all about transportation. It's the transportation district. And so in the 1920s, Jock Lindsay's hangar bar would not be there just yet. But shortly after, there would be this airplane terminal that was built. And so that's eventually where Marie and Enzo's goes into. And... It just kind of further solidifies that connection. So I do think it's interesting. Now we have 
an aviation connection, who else does that remind you of? I mean, it has to be Jock Lindsay. So why don't you give us a brief 20-second rundown of who Jock Lindsay is and the hangar bar? Oh, goodness. Okay, well, Jock Lindsay, so we've talked about him before in episode 251. We did a whole episode on the hangar bar. But basically, Jock Lindsay was a freelance airplane pilot who was hired by Indiana Jones. So specifically, if we're thinking about Indy, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he was hired again in 1938 to search for the Fountain of Youth. And that's how he kind of ends up in Disney Spring when he was looking for, you know, kind of the Fountain of Youth, basically. He's flying around looking for it. So a few years later, he returns to Disney Springs, and that's where he opens up his airplane hangar. Um, he has that as his business for a while, but he quickly recognizes that because so many people are coming in and out, and he knows lots of people, he has lots of friends, it almost makes more sense for it to be a bar rather than a functional airplane hangar. And that's where Jock Lindsay's hangar bar was born. So you can see all the different remnants of his actual pilot past. And our favorite fact about Jock Lindsay? He doesn't. He has a pet snake? He's a member of C. Oh, that too. He's a member of the Societies of Explorers and Adventurers, which is this fictional group that Disney has spread all across the globe into all the parks, and we are getting a TV show on it eventually. I like Reggie. How did you forget that? I mean, I didn't forget it. I just, maybe I didn't get there yet. Oh, okay. So I I just want you to keep Jock Lindsay in the back of your mind as we go through this episode, because that's kind of my question at the end of this is, what's their connection? There has to be one. So we know Maria and Enzo immigrated in the mid-1920s, but when they first got to Disney Springs, they didn't immediately open their restaurants. So just to further expand on what we were talking about before, it's not entirely known what they first did when they got to Disney Springs. They probably just settled down, got acquainted with the city, made some friends, did whatever they had to do for the first few years. But eventually there was this building that was built in the 1930s, so just shortly after they got there, which was a seaplane terminal. So if you're not familiar, and we didn't know this before moving to Florida, Florida has a lot of seaplanes, especially historic, historically. They did with all of the lakes and, and even the ocean. A lot of these, what, what I would call like puddle jumpers, are very, very popular as a mode of transportation. And so this was built as a hub or as a terminal for those seaplanes. And it ran for a few years, and then eventually it closed down. When it closed down is when Maria and Enzo saw this opportunity. They loved the space. Enzo, obviously, having the his historical background in aviation, loved it even more. And they saw a gap in the market of where these Central Floridians needed Italian food, and specifically their Italian food. Their homemade Italian food with their family recipes. And so that's where we get, again, that influence from Southern Italy and from Rome based on both of their backgrounds. And so they bought this building. So then when you think about how they would have acquired this building, you know, it went up for sale. We talked about how Enzo had a background in being a pilot. So I feel like naturally this building would have appealed to them. You know, even if they thought it was too big, which it is a very big space, you know, it's almost like it, it was just, it spoke to them. 
So they were good entrepreneurs in this moment. And, you know, this is where we really start to draw the connection. Like, would they have known Jock previously because of the pilot connections, potentially, but also because now they're basically neighbors. They're working in the same space. They're in the landing. It's very close. And now they both have bars. They're both pilots. They might know some of the same people, potentially. I mean, so what do you think? I mean, I just have a hard time thinking because if the terminal was open in the 30s, you could maybe assume that it ran for a decade. That would have made Maria and Enzo start taking shape in the 40s. Well, that's the exact same time period where Jock comes back to Disney Springs and buys the hangar, runs it for a few years as an actual hangar, but kind of as a, as a makeshift bar as well, and then eventually switches over to be a complete bar. So I would think, you know, in this story, they have to be talking back and forth. They have to be inviting each other over for drinks or, you know, inviting each other over for dinner because they're in the same town, they're in the same district, they're both pilots. Like, it just seems like there has to be a connection there. It also, I mean, it's interesting because they have so much in common, but when you look at, like, the styles of both of their restaurants and their bars, I feel like they're so drastically different. Like, I feel like Jock, Lindsay was the personality to just be, like, all over the place, like, super bubbly, you know, like I just build up this personality and Maria and Enzo seem more serious almost just like based off of their styles of restaurants. Like they're taking this seriously. Like they want to share their family recipes and they've obviously made a very nice place. It's a nice restaurant. It is where I think the story maybe picks up even more steam is when we bring Enzo's hideaway into this story and talk about how it came to be. So they bought this seaplane terminal. They go through the renovation of the building. And during that process, Marie and Enzo find this hidden cavern down below the building. And once they go into it, they realize that it connects them over to the power plant next door, which we now know as the Edison. But even more intriguing is down in these caverns, they find this secret door that leads into this secret speakeasy. And so these these caverns and the speakeasy was used by flying rum runners to smuggle alcohol into Disney Springs during Prohibition. So it's important to make this note because we went into Enzo's hideaway with the wrong impression thinking that Maria and Enzo themselves were rum runners. Not true. I kind of wish they were. So we turn it back a little bit. When this seaplane terminal is in operation, essentially there are these pilots who have gone rogue. They have this side hustle of this illegal business. And during their free time, they're flying down to Cuba, loading up their seaplanes with rum and bringing it back to Disney Springs and using these caverns and these tunnels as a way to get it in. Well, and specifically, they're sharing it with the workers in the power plant. Or, you know, they're giving it to them. Maybe they have a deal with them. But there's, you know, definitely that connection between the power plant and these 
interesting little tunnels. And it's interesting now if you look at the layout of Enzo's Hideaway, and if you haven't been down there, you have to. It's one of the coolest spaces I think I've been to on Disney property. I was completely blown away with how intricate and detailed it was. Well, and how big it was. I thought it was going to be teeny tiny. There's a lot of space down there. A lot of space. So there's a couple things that I think from just an architectural or a layout standpoint that are super interesting to play into the story is that when you first go into Enzo's Hideaway, it's it's like you're almost in a blast zone and it's random and there's exposed rock and you don't really understand what's going on. Like it doesn't really start to take shape until you turn the corner and you actually go into this old speakeasy. And that's because they basically fictionally blew out a side of the speakeasy for guests to go into because otherwise the only way to access it would be to go through the basement of Marie Enzo's or the Edison. And there's another part of this that's super cool is that you went to the bathroom while we were there. I did. And you mentioned they didn't even have their own bathroom. You had to go into this hallway that goes to the Edison. And that's part of the story as well. That you were in those rum runner caverns in that moment. We were in the tunnels. I mean, does it almost make you wish that that was still the only entrance. I mean, I know like logistically, whatever, they're probably not allowed to do that, but wouldn't that be cool if there was like a true kind of speak easy feeling place down there? It would be. I mean, I think like a great alternative would maybe be if you go to the front entrance of Marie and Enzo's, which is like the old ticketing booth, maybe there's a hidden door there or even just like a staircase or something that would could take you down to get you down there. That would be awesome if that was how you accessed it. It was probably just a matter of we're going to get asked questions about this every day. It makes me think of Diagon Alley. Like how many times are the team members at Universal asked, how do I get to Diagon Alley? Why is it not on the map? Why are there no signs? And like that's part of the fun of it. Mm-hmm. But I almost wonder if they... Like if it's too much for a Disney Springs, like it's not a theme park. I'm sure they considered it of making it an actual, you know, knock on the door, have the password, everything that goes along with that. And maybe it was just too hard to logistically pull off. But when you do, so we mentioned the tunnels. I do think that's worth going into some detail. You know, when you first enter into the restaurant, if you've never been there... You're probably like us and you don't know what to expect. It's very broken up, you know, like it, you don't just walk in to this expansive restaurant into this big space, which makes sense because if it, they were rum runner tunnels, you would need some secrecy to that. So it's almost like even as they're just taking you from the entrance into the restaurant, you make some turns. It's pretty dark. You see some interesting things on the walls, lots of little details that point you to the, I don't know, to the fact that these were rum runner tunnels in the Prohibition era until you get into the restaurant. Now, the actual tunnel to take you to the bathroom or to the Edison, which is what I discovered, that is very hidden. Like, unless you ask, you are not going to find the bathrooms. I guarantee it. 
Really? I think we saw a lot of people got lost because we were actually sitting at a table pretty close to how you would get to the bathrooms. And I'm almost 90% sure that every family we saw walk to the bathrooms were not actually walking to the bathrooms. They were walking into a random stairwell. Like, honestly, like an exit stairwell. Because there's this back little room that looks like it's just a wine cellar. And it looks like it's just like a party room. You have to skirt around these people's table, which is... I can't believe you just said skirt on our podcast. That's the best word I could come up with. Because it's tight and it's kind of awkward because you're very close to them. Pandemic or not, you're very close to them. You have to go around this family's table to open up a secret door to enter into a random hallway with like nothing in it to open another door to go into the hallway, which leads you to the Edison, which leads you to the bathroom. And talk about confusing. I mean, it's consistent with the story though. It's very consistent and it's kind of cool, but it's also a little like, where am I? Like, We've been to the Edison before. That's where we ate Thanksgiving. It was very good. But I even had to stop and take a minute to ask myself, like, where am I? I I am completely lost right now. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, it's so much on story that way because they wouldn't have running water down if this was a, you know, a secret speakeasy. They wouldn't have running water down there. So they wouldn't have plumbing. So they wouldn't have bathrooms. They, the only way to get in would be through the basement. And there's also tons and tons of details in Enzo's hideaway. Like they, so all of the pilots that were doing this rum running, they all went by secret code names so that they didn't get caught. There are different uh, logs of their trips back and forth to Cuba and to other places along the way, but there's different artifacts, but you can see the bottles that they picked up and that they're enjoying there's a baseball glove up there, which again, that again makes me lead towards Jock Lindsay since he was a baseball fan. Ooh, that's a that's a good connection. But it's it's really cool. But there's graffiti on the walls, and there's like you know that for a time period before Enzo and Maria found it, this was just a random hollowed out piece of earth that nobody was using. From basically the end of Prohibition. So when would that have been? 1928? Sure. I think that's when it ended. To the 1940s when they bought this building. I think it's really cool. That that space can depict all of that and all of that history. Yeah. So even if you didn't know about the story of Maria and Enzo, you can still nail like what the space was and what it was meant to be just from stepping into the space and reading a few of the things on the walls and just, you know, looking around. So it's very easy to follow. So if we go back to Marie and Enzo, of course, what would they have done when they found this room in the speakeasy and the caverns? The story goes that their first step is they went to the Disney Springs Historical Society and had them come check it out, basically to see, like, did you know this existed? And, you know, what can we do with it? And so the story goes that the Historical Society came in, and they documented everything, and they discovered it. And, you know, that's where they found things like the old 
code names for the Rum Runners and artifacts and the logs of their trips back and forth. And then they just turned it back over to Marie and Enzo's because Enzo had this great idea that he wanted to turn it back into a bar and a restaurant. And that's how Enzo's Hideaway was born. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting that even though it's the husband and wife duo, Maria and Enzo, this is only Enzo's hideaway. So like almost this was his project. You know, this is what he wanted to do. Part of me wants to think that Maria was like too proper or something, you know, too sophisticated to indulge in something as foolish as this or, you know, because it's got a kind of a a darker vibe to it than Maria and Enzo's, you know? Mm-hmm. Still fancy, though. It is fancy. I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just the patina group flexing their muscles. Hey, I'm here for it. So to round out this story, we do have to talk about the third installment to these buildings, and that is Pizza Ponte. 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 I, I don't speak pon- Italian. Ponte? I have not a drop of Italian blood in me. So you don't say. Yeah, shocking, I know. So I don't know how to pronounce anything in Italian. Going to Italian restaurants, honestly, is very intimidating for me because I don't know how to say anything. Going to any restaurant where we don't speak the language is intimidating. I can hack my way through Spanish. Well, you took Spanish. And I can hack my way through French. There's something about Italian. It eludes me and the noises that my mouth can make. <laughs> anyway, quick little backstory on Pizza Ponte is that it basically opened up while they were in the process of renovating this terminal over into the restaurant. And Maria was kind of the head honcho behind this as a way for her to test recipes in preparation for the restaurant to open. So she mainly focused on kind of grab-and-go type stuff. So she had desserts like cannolis and things like that. She had sandwiches. She had Italian espresso. And then eventually it became so popular that people wanted to eat more uh, filling meals. And so they put in these uh, wood fire pizzas and started serving this Sicilian-style pizza. So again, that's in line with Maria being from the south part of Italy. And this is actually, this is the restaurant out of the three that we have not eaten at yet. And some people have told us it's their favorite pizza on property. Which is a lot when you compare it to um, Bianapoli. Is that the one that we went to? Yeah. I mean, that was some good pizza too. Expensive. I don't know what this looks like compared to that or how similar it is. But I think it's worth a try. So... Pizza Ponte, basically, you can access it from the entrance beneath the air terminal's old control tower, and there you can get a better glimpse into Maria and her family. So you can see family photos, um, Enzo's cousins, uncles, aunts, and then anyone else who would have also immigrated from you know, Italy, Rome, once their business really started to pick up. I don't know if they would have I guess they would have had to send a letter, can't call, and just said, you know, hey, we're doing this. We need help. You want to come? They showed up. And so then it really did become a family-run business. And that's what really I think the most important part of Pizza Ponte is, is depicting that their whole family came over and took part in this business that they were building. They were family recipes. 
So what else stands out to you about the story? Or we didn't talk too much about the inside of Marie and Enzo's. It's just very like elaborate, I think. I mean, it's got 50 foot high ceilings because it was a terminal. Mm-hmm. It's so multiple very, stories. It's very grand. It has kind of the wrapping staircase that goes around the outside that you go down into the center of the restaurant. This was pre-COVID when we went, but it was the Carnival celebration when we were there. So they had... Um, they had all kinds of decorations, masks, performers were coming around, live music. You know, it was really fun. It was a great atmosphere. But... As far as the way that it looks, I'd say it's pretty much polar opposite of Enzo's hideaway. As far as, you know, Enzo's is very enclosed. Not that it's small by any means, but, you know, this is expansive and big and lots of open air. Um, You know, they were hanging like things from the ceiling for this carnival celebration that we were there for. So, I mean, they just have a lot of space to work with. It's kind of what you expect from like a Disney Italian restaurant. And even without the Carnival stuff, you know, there's the huge windows looking out over Lake Buena Vista and very bright, like a big chandelier in the middle. And they really do a great job, I think, of kind of hiding the dining room from the front entrance. And it does, like, I don't know how we ever missed it before that this was an airplane terminal. I Like, it's got all, I think it even says ticketing right behind the check-in desk. We'll if to, not, there's we'll some We'll have to get reference. a better look. There's some reference there. But there's ticketing. Over to the left is the control tower above Pizza Ponte. And then you have the actual terminal where people would have been waiting for their plane to go out is where the dining room is. It's just, it's so on the nose, but you can miss it so easily, I feel like. Well, I mean, if you're not looking for it, it I mean, you know, it kind of blends in. It's just a nice restaurant. So, food, we have been to Marie and Enzo's and Enzo's Hideaway. I can say the food is very, very similar at both of them. It was so similar that, to be honest, when we pulled up the menus before we started recording, I asked Brennan if it was the same menu. I mean, they're very similar. They're very similar. They both have about seven or eight entree options, six or seven um appetizer options if you are looking for a bigger menu marie and enzo's has more options but it's all very very similar it is they in all likelihood maybe share a kitchen but i don't know for sure well see that's where i struggle because i don't even know if marie and enzo's and enzo's hideaway connect like obviously enzo's hideaway connects to the edison but I didn't see any way for it to connect to Maria and Enzo's. I mean, Disney's full of other secret tunnels, so I wouldn't put it past them. But I didn't see it. One big thing to highlight on Enzo's Hideaway is their cocktail list is listed as Giggle Water, which is fun. That's Yeah, that's awesome. Um, they do have a hazelnut old-fashioned and all kinds of stuff. I had it. It was very good. It's not the best old-fashioned on property, but... It's a good old-fashioned. That's the tour that you're taking right now. Food, what did you have at Enzo's Hideaway? I had the ravioli, and it was very good. It had like a pesto, um, which I'm like hit or miss with pesto, but this was excellent. It was filled with ricotta, which is why I got it, because 
say ricotta and I'm there. And I was very happy. It didn't have meat or anything. It was just a cheese ravioli, but it was so filling and excellent. I had the pasta della nona, which is rigatoni pasta, short rib, meatball, and sausage, pomodoro sauce, and Parmesan. Pomodoro sauce is just red sauce. I Googled it before we ordered. Nice. Thank you for that. But your food, your meal was kind of the opposite of mine, whereas you had too much meat. It was the... It was very good, but the ratio from meat, I mean, with the short ribs, the meatball, and the sausage, I finished all the pasta before I finished the meat, and I just, I don't know, I felt weird just eating forkfuls <laughs> just of meat. Just a pile of meat. <laughs> so I just kind of let it be. I was very full, and it was very good. They have bread at the beginning with like the oil that you can dip it in. We got the appetizer, which what we got the meatball with more ricotta. So I had multiple meatballs. It was excellent. And then for dessert, we had the, I'm looking at it, trying to find it. What did we have? It was something chocolate. It was, it was like the ganache. Is that what it's called? Chocolate ganache. Yes. Bittersweet chocolate tart, toasted marshmallow meringue, and orange caramel. It was the marshmallow that spoke to me. And it was, they like toasted it on the plate. It was pretty good. But if you are on vacation and if you're going to get like one dessert at Disney Springs, I feel like you can get better elsewhere. Well, and that has very much like s'mores vibes to it. Mm -hmm. I would walk just around the corner and go to the ganachery if that's what you're feeling. You preferred that s'mores treat? Yeah. More? I did. Okay. Especially for the price. True. 15 bucks for the chocolate ganache. Ooh, it's a little steep. Um, we did share it though. We're honestly not going to remember what we had at Maria and Enzo's. I can tell you when we went there was r- the night before the Princess Two before. Marathon. You don't carb load the night before, two nights before. Okay, whatever. Shortly before the Princess Half Marathon. And it was good. We went for carb loading. If I had to guess, we probably got like some sort of chicken in order to make sure we didn't get something too filling. But are you kidding me? <laughs> but I, I remember it was good. And I remember we were very pleased with our meal. But they have eight entrees, spaghetti, ravioli. Here's a chicken dish, uh, chicken parmesan. It seems like m- kind of more traditional Italian food, I would say, at Maria and Enzo's. I don't, I guess they're the same. They're very similar. I mean, but either way, I don't think you can go wrong. I think you can kind of say that across the board for the patina group in general. You can't really go wrong with anything that they're serving. No. We're big fans of theirs. Big fans. I would really love that Space 220 restaurant, you know? Oh, my goodness. We I'd will love to get en- it someday. I'd love to enjoy this decadent food in the comfort of space. <laughs> As you hear test track whizzing by outside your... Dining uh, room. It is Disney. You know they're going to have some sort of sound proof. They're not going to let you hear that. You can hear Test Track from the parking lot. You can. I just, I don't know. I think Disney can do anything. So my last question for you is, do you think they will ever expand on this story? Like, I think with Gideon's in particular, it's a story that's going to continue to evolve and continue to be told to us. Even since we last... Uh, released our episode, 
they have a new character that they've introduced, like a citrus boy or something. And he's awesome. I mean, it's definitely because the cookie right now is like an orange cookie, an orange and chocolate chip cookie. But he's adorable. But to answer your question, I I don't necessarily know if they're going to ever add anything to like Marie and Enzo's story. I just wonder if there are other little tidbits in the restaurant that we can pick up more from. You know, like I feel like we have a pretty good background on not only Marie and Enzo, but the space. And I just think that there might be more to uncover, you know, like now that we know what we're looking for, we might be able to make some more connections, connect a few more dots. When we do our episode on the Edison, I'm interested to see if there's more connections there. I haven't done any research on the Edison, so I don't even know. No, me neither. But if it's in this space, you would have to think it's there's something there. Well, and even, you know, in our research, it specifically said that they were bringing some of that rum to the workers in the plant, in the power plant. So I feel like, you know, and the tunnel that connects it, you know, like there is there is just too much there to, to leave it at that. Like, oh, here's just a random tunnel that connects these two buildings underground. No big deal. But just to kind of wrap it up, I think we would recommend both of these restaurants, the table service restaurants. I can't imagine Pizza Ponte would be bad. So I would probably... I think it's safe to recommend that as well is a kind of a, I don't know, a less thought about quick service location. I think in Disney Springs, a lot of them really get busy. A lot of times, if you look at polite pig or deluxe burger or blaze pizza, Mm -hmm. Earl of sandwich. So this might be a nice little place to go whenever you just want to pick up a quick slice of pizza and a cannoli. Well, and I will say, you know, if you are thinking about going to eat there, they do have some seating, correct? They have at least a few tables outside, but it's not a lot, which is why maybe it gets overlooked because you probably do have to take it and, you know, look around for a seat. I don't think it's impossible, but that is something to take into consideration when planning. Our last tip to visit these restaurants is they are some of those restaurants that split their dining reservations between Disney and Open Table. And we have had excellent luck getting into both of these on open table. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just a a good tip whenever you're trying to book anything at Disney Springs. Always check open table first because they, I would say 100% of the time, have more availability than the actual Disney app. I think that is very true. Open table has become our best friend. Yeah. We use it quite often. So any other thoughts on this space before we move on? I don't think so. I mean, I think that's it. Which do you enjoy more? I'm a sucker for a good like prohibition speakeasy. I don't know where my obsession came from all of this. I I do know. The Great Gatsby. Thank you, The Great Gatsby. I'm obsessed with, with everything involved with that. I had the soundtrack in my car as a high schooler. It's probably still there. You can go check. Um, I just love it. So I have to go in those hideaway. I would agree. I just think it's a cooler setting and it's very similar food. And so you can't really go wrong with it. They do have bar seating in there as well. If you're interested, it's very, very limited right now though. But hopefully they eventually will bring that back. 
I think that would be a cool place to have a walk-up bar as well. That's just my suggestion if the Patina Group is listening. If. Patina Group also has restaurants all over the country and the world. They have a restaurant in Tokyo, I saw. Lots of restaurants in L.A., Chicago, New York as well. So if you guys have been to any of those, let us know. Do they stand up to some of these restaurants at Disney? And if you've been to any of the ones in Disneyland and Downtown Disney, I'm interested in those as well. I think Someday next day we will go to this Tortilla Joe's that to- we've heard so much about. Tortilla Joe's has our names written all over it. All over. So, we'll be there. Again, if you are looking to make a trip to Disney anytime in the future, maybe you want to eat at Enzo's Hideaway and go visit that speakeasy down there. Make sure you reach out to our friend Hannah. She can do as much or as little as you want her to do for your vacation. And it is a completely free service where she can book that for you and get you taken care of and make your next magical adventure come true. You can head to littlebitofdisney.com, fill out that free quote form, or just click the link down in the show notes and it'll take you directly there. Make sure you tell her that detour sent you because that will make us happy. So if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us an iTunes review. It's absolutely the best way to help the podcast grow. We it makes our day whenever we read those as well. So thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget next Thursday, we will have our live show on YouTube and on Facebook. Like us or subscribe to us on either one of those and you'll be able to catch the show. Hope you can join us and hope you have a wonderful weekend and talk to you real soon. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.